You're listening to the Northwestern Campus Ministry Podcast from Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Northwestern Campus Ministry exists to send students out as those rooted, built up, and established in Christ for God's glory and for the sake of the world. Thanks for listening and enjoy this recent message from our Christian Formation Program. Well, a beloved and familiar face is back with us, bringing a word from God from 1 Corinthians 9, uh, the Vice President for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Bethel University, Dr. Ron Franklin, someone who has invested and loved and led this campus for about, about 10 years uh, in a number of different capacities, most, most recently as of this last year as the Director of Strategic Diversity Initiatives. We're so blessed to have Dr. Ron Franklin and his family with us in Northwest Iowa, but uh, Ron is going to bring a word from the Lord this morning. So can you join me in welcoming our beloved friend to the, to the stage? chapel is not required and sometimes I wonder if it should be but to see y'all here uh, <laughs> where you are in the semester it truly is a joy for me to be with y'all um, have to tell you really quickly uh, my kids after we've been functioning in this urban environment for a while I think they were wondering what home is for them and uh, I realized when it started to click for them a little bit we got outside of the cities and there was more cornfield and barns popping up all over the place. And we were about you know, 30 minutes outside of the city. It takes about four hours to get down here. And uh, my boys, one of them is six and the other is four. They're like, are we there? Are, are, we, are we there already, Dad? I was like, uh, we still got about three and a half hours left to go, boys. But I recognize why you are feeling like home, right? Uh, the terrain was changing, right? The context was changing. And uh, that's a little bit what we're going to explore today in terms of what's happening in uh, 1 Corinthians, right? Uh, Chapter 9, verses 19 through 23. Uh, We're going to be thinking about how context change and perhaps how rules then might change or be adapted or adhered to differently based on where you find yourself. So, uh, quick survey though. Uh, I want to ask a couple quick questions of you. How many of y'all have a uh, legitimate driver's license right now? Your driver's license is active. You passed the test. You did all the good things that helped prove you were a good driver yet. Yeah, almost like 100% of us, right? A couple of us, maybe not. All right, second question. Um, how many of y'all follow all the rules of the road as you drive? Like you're a good rule following uh, driver hands dropped a little bit, yeah? Okay. Um, Likely, most of us think that we follow the rules of the road. Appreciate y'all being honest this morning and not lying. Uh, But how many, as you think about the people who are driving around you, how many, like, rule-following drivers do you think are on the road with you as you drive? Not very many, right? If you were to guess at a percentage, probably... uh, a little less likely than we even think of ourselves, right? So it might be the case that we think a little more highly of ourselves as rule-following drivers than we think about our neighbors and their capacities to drive well, right? So uh, growing up for me, right, uh, about the age of 15, I was pretty excited about getting my driver's license, right? And I uh, happened to grow up in a place 
like that. This is a skyline of Kansas City. Um, but you could not get your driver's license unless you, of course, passed this test and you kind of could prove that you, of course, 100% would follow all of the rules of the road, right? Um, that was not true for me, which is probably not likely for you either. But you had to take this test, right, to affirm that you had the capacities to drive, okay? Um, I didn't have access to a vehicle, and so my ability to practice driving was a little limited, but I did have a good friend, his name is Brandon Barton, whose parents got him a little Mazda, and he was a year older than me, and he kind of had all the cool stuff that I could ever desire to have, but uh, Brandon could drive first, right? So I decided one day while we were uh, downtown in North Kansas City at the grand opening of our community and uh, neighborhood library that I should learn to drive. Right? Uh, so this library grand opening, and I had my moment to learn how to drive, right? Uh, so I hop in this vehicle. Uh, it was both thrilling and terrifying. Thrilling because like, it was fun to drive, finally. Uh, the terrifying piece was that I had no idea how to drive a stick shift. Right? So I'm cruising throughout this parking lot, and I killed it multiple times. Uh, killing it in this sense was not a good thing. Uh, I stalled the vehicle out, had to start it up again, and started to get a little nervous or whatever. But nonetheless, I cruise around the parking lot, land back in the parking spot, had my little five-minute cruise and moment of fun, and uh, went back in, gave Brandon his keys, and I was like, dude, thanks for letting me drive a little bit. And he looked at me funny because he didn't know that I was going out to drive his vehicle. But it's neither here nor there. Brandon's still a good friend of mine. Um, but what happened is word got out that there was some reckless driver in the parking lot, right? And uh, so... As I step into the bathroom and I'm like, dude, that was a bad decision, Ron. Don't ever do something like that again. Uh, I come back out and there are police officers waiting for this young Ron Franklin. And uh, I was arrested and taken out in the middle of this grand opening ceremony of my community's library. Right? Life-changing. Uh, but then I land in Northwest Iowa, right, where... Learning to drive is a little different, right? Uh, I started to get to know some people as I moved to uh, the Northwest Iowa context, and my in-laws had youth, kids from like 7 to 12 years old, and they surprised me. They were incredible drivers, and I did not know why. I'm stalling out a stick shift, and they are driving really well. Four-wheelers, right, dirt bikes, all types of vehicles, tractors, even diesel trucks, right? Um, and I started to ask some questions like, why would it be so different for how my opportunities and ability to drive were lacking and that of my in-laws now were impressive, right? What was going on? And I think what I can suggest to you today is that as context and culture changes, so too might the rules Right, so, uh, and some of it's practical, right? Sooner or later, these kids might be helping with harvest season, and they need to be able to drive the trucks so that the grain bins can be filled and uh, produce can be hauled from place to place, right? It's, it's very practical in that way. Uh, but there were differences, right, between city and country. So here's what I want to suggest to you. Um, <laughs> It's a number of things floating through my head right now. I should let you know I ended up getting community service for my illegal driving uh, at the library, which uh, effectively turned me into a, a bookworm right over the summer. But how fascinating, right, that uh, 
My little cousins could drive on these beautiful roads free of any concern, but yet for me, I am ending up in a holding cell. My mom was weeping and my dad was uh, sad mad. Y'all know that feeling? Like really disappointed and pissed off at the same time? That was, that was my father. Uh, but these are the questions, my friend. Uh, how, how is it that culture changes, context changes, and perhaps rules change? Uh, and I want to suggest to you that being a Christ follower in a pluralistic context is actually a lot like that. Now, uh, many people think about what it means to follow Christ and what it means to be a Christian is it's about being a good rule follower, right? And it seems that both insiders and outsiders of the faith have this orientation that Christianity is a rules-based religion, right? And to a certain extent, it is accurate regarding how we think, right? That being a part of a Christian community, we operate as rule-based communities, and in many ways, it's practical, right? If your worldview or your church community is made up of clear sets of rules and behaviors, it's convenient. Everything is black and white, sometimes quite literally the makeup of our churches, right? Um, and as long as you don't cross into other cultural settings or uh, the moment, perhaps, that culture begins to change around you, it starts to create some challenges for us, right? To start to consider how might we live alongside people who are not like ourselves. But you see, rules of behavior are often rooted in particular times, cultures, and circumstances, and these are areas of behavior and decision-making where there is no black or white, perhaps there is more gray than we realize. And that's what I wanna talk to you about today is that gray space. Let me be really frank, what I'm not talking about is areas like sexual purity for a follower of Christ. Like, this is not what I'm talking about. That's pretty clear. And Paul, in the context of 1 Corinthians, he kind of addresses these things in chapters before and in chapters after. Um, but the presenting issue is, again, not about, uh, should I be good to my neighbor? Should I love God? And like, this is not the question. It's about what do we do with this gray space in between? And what Paul does in those moments as he's writing from prison to the Corinthians is uh, he doesn't give the Corinthians a set of rules. He challenges them to think, to think through what it means to live consistently with the gospel. All right, what does it mean to live con consistently with the gospel? We're going to jump to the text real quick because, my friends, time flies when you're having fun. This is what the Corinthians were experiencing, right? They were in a pluralistic context where worship was happening in some really interesting ways, right? Meat would be sacrificed to gods like Apollo, and then the question that was splitting the church at the time was if you should or shouldn't eat that meat. And you had uh, Jewish Christians who said, no way, pure culture, right? Uh, but for the Greek and Roman Christians, they're like, what's the problem? We've grown up with this meat. We eat it all the time. It's not an issue. Relax. So if you'll let me do this really quickly, create a dichotomy. Like the Jewish Christians were super uh, conservative, right? And on the flip side, there were some who were Jewish, uh, excuse me, uh, Roman, and uh, <laughs> coming from maybe a Gentile orientation, and they were much more liberal. And I want to suggest to you that perhaps what Paul is suggesting is he, in the scripture, will call maybe those who are on the string extremes of both ends, those he would actually consider to be weak, and then for us, perhaps, who are more 
quote unquote, mature, we need to be mindful of their perspective as we think about how we behave. All right, so let's talk about how Paul is suggesting we behave. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 to 23. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. It's a lot. And at the same time, it's somewhat simple. Essentially what Paul is suggesting is, right, when you have these gray areas and you're trying to decide how you should behave, I think he would say something like, it depends. We want black and white, and what Paul is suggesting is perhaps it depends. For example, he goes on to suggest if you are in a space where you're going to cause your brother or sister to lean further into sin or lead them astray, you should not do whatever that thing is, like eating that meat, so as to save their dignity and their adherence to the gospel. And on the flip side, if being hyper-conservative in a way would lead one to sin further, you perhaps should flex. When should you recognize what is core and what is flex? Like, it depends. So I'm going to give you just really quickly a, a tool as we wrap things up here, perhaps of uh, thinking about how we might navigate today the context that we are functioning in. So I care nothing for Jeeps, but this picture helps capture a little bit of what our world, perhaps as a pluralistic environment, might feel like, right? So I get to do diversity, equity, and inclusion work, and in some ways, uh, this is the nature of our context, right? If you see diversity as like the landscape, right? It's, just, it, it's normal these days, right? Uh, if that's the landscape, and equity perhaps is the waterfall, right? This is the place that we want to be. Uh, everybody is thriving. It's all of the beautiful things that God had in store for humanity, right? This equity and uh, maybe shalom, you, if you will. The road that we could be on, right, uh, maybe is inclusion, right? The road could be inclusion. So therefore, my suggestion to you is that perhaps cultural intelligence is the vehicle by which we navigate this terrain to get us where we are going. And so what I wanted to do was explore a little bit about maybe what overlap is there with cultural intelligence, this framework that we don't have enough time to explore, but I'll give you the four elements of it and think about how perhaps Paul was leaning into it as he was expressing these reflections in 1 Corinthians. So, as I hear Paul talk about uh, this context of 1 Corinthians, uh, the four factors of cultural intelligence. Drive is one, right? That's your motivation. The next piece is your knowledge. Like, how do you understand how cultures are similar and different? And then the other piece is strategy. Like, how do you think about and then live alongside people who are not like yourself in a planned way? And then lastly, what are the actions or behaviors that help people understand that you might love them as you love yourself and love God? All right, so those are the factors. Drive, knowledge, strategy, and action. All right, so as I hear Paul 
talk about, uh, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I am not, right? That lands for me as CQ knowledge, as I hear him talk about his why, right? Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. That's the motivation, right? That's the drive. And then when I hear Paul talk about to the weak, he became weak to win the weak, right? This is, for me, a combination of strategy and action, if we can kind of make it really compact and wrap things up here. He was strategic about the ways that he interacted with people in ways that made them feel like they were loved, that their perspective and their orientation to the world mattered. And then Paul behaved in such a way that the message was received and Christianity blew up to be what it is today, a multicultural and perhaps the most multicultural religion in the world. And I'd suggest to you that maybe as you start to lean into your holiday festivities, you might be transitioning from a space where you left home with a set of orientations, right, of how the world works, and you came to college in Northwestern and you learned some new things in a couple of months or maybe years. And then you have to find yourself back at home thinking about how do I now do life at the Thanksgiving table with people who might think and feel differently than I do. Like, what are you going to say? Perhaps I hung out with a class this morning and we talked about critical race theory. Wow. How do you sit down at the Thanksgiving table in a couple weeks and have, excuse me, a couple days, right? And have this conversation with your folks, with your parents. Maybe if you're like me, there's a few people in your family that are quite hyper conservative, right? Or you might have others who are hyper liberal. How do you sit in this space in between encouraging the fundamental elements of what it means to be a follower of the way, which is about loving God and loving neighbor as yourself, and to do that in such a way that it doesn't promote sinfulness in either direction. I wonder if CQ could be valuable to you. And so I'm going to pause here really quickly because it's time for us to be done (laughs) and encourage you as you walk out to think about perhaps what it is that cultural intelligence could add to your life as you sit around the Thanksgiving banquet feast in a couple of days. How can you show love to both God and your neighbor as you love yourself in the midst of a pluralistic an increasingly divisive society. And I hope you can keep the main thing the main thing, that you love God as you love your neighbor as yourself, and be mindful that you don't cause someone else to sin further. My friends, go in peace to love and serve the Lord your God and all that you say and do. Thanks for having me. Peace.